Greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Pastor May J.G. of the Senior, coming to you from all the Wally Ministries here in Alpha Vista, Virginia. We're coming to you this morning, uh, July the 2nd, first Sunday in July. We're coming to you this morning uh, at our Sunday School Hour. We thank God for joining us this morning. We're coming to you this morning out of uh, the King James Version of our Standard Commentary. Uh, it's the Universal Lesson Plan in it lesson that you have other than Union Gospel Press, you can follow along with us. So uh, if you got David C. Cook, UMI, or if you got uh, Begley, or even uh, uh, any of the uh, David C. Cook or Standard Commentary, uh, Standard uh, Literature, then you can follow along with us this morning. So mm -hmm. we are thankful. Uh, we're coming out of Zechariah 9th chapter, verses 9 to 13, verses 16 and 17. Our lesson this morning is peace to the nations. Mm -hmm. uh, as we study this morning, we want to look at our uh, lesson aims this morning. Uh, as we anticipate the lesson, we want each of us to learn to identify biblical fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy and then explain the significance that, uh, of that fulfillment. Then be able to state one reason why that fulfillment should make a difference in our lives. So, a beautiful lesson. Our lesson theme is the righteous reign of God. Unit 1 study the prophets to proclaim God's power. As we study uh, this quarter, we're going to hopefully look at a little bit better understanding of, of the power and authority of God as he proclaims uh, the prophecy of the coming of the Messiah. So, we thank God for each of those uh, uh, lessons that we're going to study in this quarter, but we're going to focus this morning on peace to the nations. Mm. Our scripture reads this morning, beginning with that ninth chapter of Zechariah, the ninth verse. He said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, and he is just in having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass, and upon the coat of a fowl of an ass. Verse 10. And I will cut off the chariot of, from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace in unto the heathen, and his dominion shall be from sea even to sea, from river even to the ends of the earth. For as he, thee also, by the blood of thy covenant, have I set before thy prisoners out of the pit wherein is no water. Turn ye uh, to the stronghold, and ye prisoners of hope. And every day I do declare that I will render double unto thee. And uh, uh, when I have bent Judah for me, uh, bow, uh, fill the bow of Ephraim, and raise up thy sons, O Zion, against the sons of Greece, made thee as a sword of a mighty man. And the Lord their God shall save thee in that day as a flock of his people, for they shall be as stones of a crown, lifted up as an ensign unto his land. For how great is the goodness, and how great is his beauty. Corn shall make the young men cheerful, and new wine the maids. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his holy and his righteous word. So again, as we get into our study this morning, we want to identify those biblical fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy, then uh, explain that uh, the significance of it and how that fulfillment should make a difference in our lives. So let us get into our introduction this morning, extreme preparations. You know, extreme 
preparations. You know, when overnight guests are expected, you know, a host is faced with the decision on how he will prepare for that visit. And preparations may vary according to the status of the one coming to visit. One extreme of preparation, a regular reused room uh, may be vacated and receive a deep cleaning, windows wash, uh, bed sprays, a laundry and carpet steam. And in other uh, extreme uh, situations calling for little or no preparation at all, with the guests being expected to sleep on a couch or relatives or kids are more likely to experience no special preparation for their overnight stay. A brief description was that it was done to prepare for the arrival of the ultimate dignitary, the Lord God. It's found in Isaiah 40, chapter, verses 3 and 4. It says there, the voice of him that cries in the wilderness to prepare the way for the Lord. Of this passage is cited in the New Testament being fulfilled in the ministry of who? John the Baptist. And as he leads to the conclusion that the preparation was to be spiritual in nature, a preparation of the heart. People reached John's message uh, in various ways. One extreme was reactions of sincere repentance by the unlikely people. Uh, then the other extreme was attempt to discredit John. His preparation were able to recognize the prophetic fulfillment when it was right before their eyes. There's our lesson context this morning. You know, Zechariah is the prophet. About 30 men in the Bible is mentioned by the name of Zechariah, but also identifies the one that are in our lesson this morning. The names uh, of man's father or grandfather listed to the point that the prophet whose work was to be dated around 520 B.C. onward, and he and his contemporary Haggai, they played a leadership role in the rebuilding of the temple following those who returned from Babylonian captivity. And Zechariah uh, joined Haggai with this general exhortation, followed by a series of eight visions that uh, provided encouragement for the project of rebuilding the temple, a tremendous assurance is given unto them toward the end of the vision that the Lord declared that my house shall be built. In that regard, those who prophets that lived during the time of King Darius of Persia, who reigned from 522 to 486 BC. Then what about Zechariah as a prophecy? The book of Zechariah is located in the Old Testament of the Minor Prophets. In the longest of those 12 books, comprises of 22% of the section. Following the introduction, uh, the book falls into three parts. First part features eight night visions that Zechariah had in, in the format is apocalyptic, is vivid, is unusual visions of future events. And this type of literature seems to have the origin during the time of the Jews and their captive in Babylon. But the textbooks in Daniel and Ezekiel were also examples that talked about their captivity. Then Zechariah 7 and 8, it constitutes the second part of the letter and reveals the prophet about two years after those night visions. The segment records the responses by the Lord of those observances of fasting uh, along with the law of Moses described the fasting of the uh, Israelites in the day of atonement. Fasting is inherent to afflict your souls. By those Jews uh, that were in Babylon, they had introduced more fast 
even into the calendar. In the last part of Zechariah, the third part, it presents itself as two updated prophecies. The first prophecy, it speaks of God's forecoming actions of their judgment and his mercy. That's today's text as part of this prophecy. The second prophecy begins with chapter 12 and 14, describes the coming day of the Lord, the book of Zechariah is quoted seven times in the New Testament. Amen. Then Zechariah 9 begins, the eight verses are believed to focus during the time of Alexander the Great, and he defeated the Persian under Darius the third, uh, that famous battle that, uh, that, that was in 333 B.C. Uh, Alexander then turned south and placed his name as Zechariah, uh, verse 8, immediately proceeds the text about today's text. And then God blessed and condemned empires and kings throughout those centuries, but each one had a role in God's plan that will ultimately bring the Messiah into the world all in the right time. Amen. And then in the timeline, uh, references above are correct. It means that there is a gap about 300 years from the time of the events that between verses 8 and 9. But the text says that some students have called this literary feature prophetic foreshortening, which appears the first glance. Prophecies that are fulfilled closely together uh, in the time turn out to be separate centuries. Another example of prophetic foreshortening is found in Isaiah 61, given where Jesus stops his quotation uh, in Luke 4 and 20. And that time gap is the utterance of the prophecy of Zechariah 9 and 9. And its fulfillment is even wider, at least 500 years. So it's beginning to the beginning of our discussion this morning, uh, the Lord's King, the rejoicing commanded. He says in our lesson this morning, beginning with verse 9, he said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, or shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold thy king cometh unto thee. Again, we talked about it in last week. Uh, the writer used this poetic parallelism. He said that, O daughter of Zion, and then O daughter of Jerusalem, he said both of them is relating to what God's chosen people, Israel, is relating to uh, Israel and Judah for them to be able to uh, recognize, and he's for uh, uh, prophesying that what the king will come, and the celebration will be in response to that king that is coming to the city, the royal arrival of, 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 of not one of conquest, giving the commandments, rejoice and shout. But at the time they were shouting because of the king. Then verse uh, uh, part B, he said he's coming because he is just and he's having salvation. He's coming lowly, riding upon an ass and upon a coat of the fowl over that. This is the direct uh, uh, a prophecy of Jesus Christ riding in Jerusalem, uh, coming in on that day that he rode in. Uh, 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 he came in riding on a, a colt of an ass, and he told his disciples to go find that man and ask him. And when he asked him, he said he will already have knowledge of that need, and he will give you what is necessary for me to ride in. So kings are always riding in on stallions and, 
And but here he's coming riding in on on a lowly ass and or a colt of an ass, and and he uh, that was disappointing to everybody who saw him riding in. But that was the prophecy. Yep. Uh, what they thought was going to be a king representing a a, a a king like David that will come in and defeat the enemy. But here Jesus is coming in uh, on a lowly donkey, which this encouraged uh, everybody. Uh, discouraged everybody that was looking though they were looking for somebody to get them away from under the Roman occupation mm -hmm. but then Jesus come riding in and I think in my message that I preached and they said what they didn't know exactly there, you know, have you ever had your expectations crushed? Yep. You had this expectation of something grandeur, mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden, when it come in, it's not exactly what you expect, mm -hmm. and you kind of said, "What? I don't understand. Where is the king, the Where triumphant king that is marching in to mm -hmm. defeat the Romans? And you cannot defeat the Roman army riding in on an army. They man. expected the king to come in, but the Lord's kingdom." He yes. said that in verse 10, I will cut off the chariot of Ephraim and the horse mm. from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace unto the heathen and his dominion shall be from sea to sea and from river even unto the ends of the earth. Mm. You know, Ephraim is named of one of the northern tribes uh, uh, by the son of uh, uh, Joseph and that the designation, however, it stands for what? The entire northern kingdom uh, that was divided uh, in Israel. And then Jerusalem at that time stands for what? The southern kingdom mm -hmm. that was divided. Then sometimes they call it what Judah. But the intention mm -hmm. is to show that the entirety of Israel is included in the promise. The southern kingdom as well as the northern kingdom. Mm -hmm. And then he says that for, that you shall have dominion from what? From sea to sea even river even unto the ends of the earth. So that means the totality of, of, of God's people is going to be involved in this promise that God had made unto them. Mm -hmm. And then he says, prisoners released in verse 11. He says that, and for this also, by the blood of thy covenant, I have set forth thy prisoners out of the pit wherein there is no water. It raises the important question, is the phrase, the blood of thy covenant looking to the past or the future? The context implied that the redeeming work, that the Messiah, what, was in view. Throughout history, it was a hopeless situation to be sentenced to the pit. But the additional description is the place being where waterless brings to mind the prophet Jeremiah, who was a prisoner who was once confined in such a place, a pit that had no water. The shredding or the shedding of the blood of Jesus gave hope to the hopeless. And those that were trapped in the bondage of sin now can have hope. Even so, the double reference may be intended in case the physical release from Babylon captivity by the Israelites serves as a type of spiritual freedom that the Messiah would bring. So everything in the Old Testament is a type and a shadow pointing to the coming of the Messiah. So that was an idea or a concept that they would be able to perceive from this message that was coming to them this morning. Mm -hmm. Verse 12, promise of plenty. Mm -hmm. He said, turn you to the stronghold, ye prisoners of hope, even to the day I will declare uh, that I will render double unto thee. Mm -hmm. See, those who were prisoners of hope commanded 
uh, that they would go to a place of security. The original word translated stronghold is difficult. This is the only place in the Old Testament uh, where Hebrew and words occurs that there was no other text to compare with it. So the most likely means that it refers to Jerusalem is that, that place where they will find hope where God is, where Jesus is. And the most likely meaning is that Zechariah prophesied that the walls of Jerusalem, they had not been built at that time, but that was a place of safety. See, God got a, a place of safety for each one of us. The ark of safety is who? Jesus Christ. Jesus. Come into the ark of safety. So it indicates that where one returns to God, he will give more than expected. When you come to God, um, he said that you will get an overflow of his blessings if you come to him. The ancient Israelites realized that they received a what? A double portion of God's wrath for their idolatry, but they should also receive a what? A double portion of his goodness and his blessings when they will return to where God intended them to be. Promise of power, verses 13 in our lesson. It said that when I have spent Judah for me, filled the bow with Ephraim, and raised up thy sons, O Zion, against thy sons, O Greece, and made thee as the sword of a mighty man. The, the, the intended references of Judah and inference. Ephraim is the ultimate uh, deposition of weapons of war. Uh, the phrase against thy sons, O Greece, uh, reverses the problem noted in Joel 3 and 6 when they said, The children of Judah and the children of Jerusalem have I sold unto the Grecians. But here he says that now that, that Greece, their son going to come against Greece and going to be able to face them in this time that they're going through. God promises that he's going to what? Rescue his people from the, the uh, 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 bondage they were in. Mm -hmm. And then let's get down to the Lord's care. The Lord's care. Zechariah 9th chapter verses 16 and 17. The Lord saves. Verse 16 says, the, And the Lord their God shall save them in that day as a flock of his people. And for they shall be as stones of a crown and lifted up as an ensign unto the land. Here he says that the figure of speech that the Lord's people challenges from a military action uh, that to a familiar picture of them being a caring shepherd. See, God cares that seemed to be distant and non-existent while they were in Babylon captivity. Now they can confidently trust that God will take care of them. And also, the promise reveals great value how the Lord saw in his people. They were indeed a precious gemstone that, that will adorn a crown. And, and the nature of the blessing, that wouldn't be hidden. He said, rather, they will be lifted as an ensign unto the land as a witness for all those to see. Mm -hmm. See, that's what he said. Uh, one of the things that we were talking about it. He said that Jesus commanded the, the disciples of them loving one another. Mm -hmm. and, he, and he said one word. He said, by this example of you loving one another, the world will know that you are one of my disciples. And so here they are saying, if, uh, by, by you being lifted 
lifted up by you being lifted up, showing how God gave you the victory, that become an ensign. That become an example yeah. to those that in the land to see if God can do this for his people yeah. after they were in captivity, after yeah. they've been in bondage. Mm -hmm. If God can do this, that can be an example to everybody around you. See, your life is not... I, I like this old poem says, no man is an island, no man stands alone. Each man is his brother. So we are not on an island by ourselves. We live to be an example to someone else. Amen. When you do good for the Lord, God uh, puts you in a place where your life become an ensign or an example Amen. to those that are around you. Amen. We become a light to the world. That's why yes. he said, so let your light shine. So, so the world can see your, your goodness, your good mm -hmm. works. You, know, the, he, you become the what? Enzyme or the example for the world. The church today, we should be an enzyme unto the world today because the world is looking for somebody right. who is able to walk according to the word and the will of God. Mm -hmm. And when they see you walking in that, that righteousness of God, they too have that desire that they too can walk in the same righteousness of God. Verse 17, mm -hmm. the Lord supplied. He says that for how great is his goodness and how great is his beauty. Corn shall make the young men cheerful and new wine the maids. Mm -hmm. Two sudden praises that in response to the promises that God had made of them. He said God is what? Great. When? All the time. Huh? And the language goes back to results that what God will do, the word corn uh, is, uh, is talking about bread or grain. He says that the grain shall make young people cheerful, ain't it? Mm. But then the new wine will make the maids happy, won't it? Mm. He says that bread will, that will give them food that they need. Uh, sometimes food is taken for granted, but when the word corn occurs, it says that, that it says that now food will be available. The picture is talking about what? Prosperity in the yeah, time when they yeah. were going and coming out of captivity, but it will be prosperous and everything will be all right. See, God will bless you and he'll bring you in a place of goodness and, and he'll bring uh, in you a place where you can have success and everything will be all right. So mm -hmm. our conclusion this morning, play money or real money. Play money or real money. Imagine the father playing a board game with his young son and the game involved buying and selling things with play money. The youngster quickly learns that the value of money that is in his hand, the lad expresses his appreciation and regard, and the father responds, someday I'm going to give you a thousand dollars. And the boy eagerly received the gift, but what he doesn't realize, the father was referring to what? Real money. The father doesn't uh, make the distinction at the time that the promise that he was son was going to give him play money or real money. The son focused on apparently uh, the value of the play money because that was the game he was playing. So it was seen in the days that God has an intent of bringing eternal life, which is what? Real money. That real money to those that he created in his image. Those that accepted Jesus the Christ. But he made promises to those that are under the old covenant in terms of their physical or earthly rules. See, that's play money, ain't it? Mm -hmm. Because there is no framework to change them or to get them any better. But even in the New Testament, people had a hard time seeing the spiritual uh, surpassing the earthly. 
or seeing beyond the temporal into the eternal. See, God is there to give us what we need mm -hmm. to have us, uh, to sustain us throughout eternity. But what uh, this world offers us, I, I, I saw, uh, uh, I think it was on Facebook this morning, he said that we fall for a temporary uh, solution rather than an eternal solution. The devil can only offer us what's temporary, but God can offer us what is eternal. What the devil offers us will wear out, it will run out, but what God offers us will what last? Only what you do for God will what? Will last. So that's what we have to understand. So the question is, where are you in regard to where you're putting your trust? Are you looking for play money? Are you looking for the real money? Things that will last and give you eternal life. So our prayer today is Almighty God, as we think of, about Jesus as King, we resolve that our goal every day will be to remember that our citizenship is in heaven and to be the best citizens possible while, while we are here in his kingdom on earth. So in Amen. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the thought to remember this morning, Jesus' kingdom is superior to any alternative mm. now and forevermore. We thank God for you joining us this morning in our Sunday school hour. Uh, you can follow along again with us by having any other literature other than the Union Gospel Press, but any of your other commentaries or any of your other universal lesson plans, you can follow along with us each and every Sunday morning. So we do thank God for you joining us. Uh, this Sunday school hour, we're going to prepare to go into our worship hour. We also want to remind you on first Sundays, we do have Holy Communion following our morning message. So we ask you to get some juice and some bread, get some uh, whatever you have in the house. We're going to pray over it, asking God to sanctify it. And then we're going to take of the body and the blood of Jesus following our morning message. So as we come this morning, we're going to ask uh, my wife.